Welcome back to the Bill Bradley Collective, where we are recording live on what has thus far been a very pleasant, slightly humid Saturday afternoon on the Levy patio. Our backdrop, a block away, uh, an active uh, Black Lives Matter protest. Hope everyone's staying safe. Glad to see people exercising their First Amendment rights, a demonstration protest. Uh, just everybody stay safe out there. What we're going to talk about today is November 6th, 1993. I guess not coincidentally, it was my fifth birthday. And that's where, that's kind of where we'll start. Because growing up in the, the first home I lived in in Groton, the Herons had a cable to scrambler box. So unbeknownst really to me at the time, you know, at HBO and Showtime and all the premium channels and pay-per-views and whatnot. For free. For free. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought, these, I thought, these hot boxes. I thought we were going to hear about the story of your birth, and I'm like, well, that's something we definitely don't know about. <laughs> this is, and also, please which, don't. Which he remembers. <laughs> these are like 27-year-old 20, FCC violations. Please don't, don't, don't report my father for this. Um, but anyway, so that night, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 was making its HBO debut, and it was on, it was on pretty late. But my father assures me, he says, hey, I'll tape it. You know, we'll watch it tomorrow. Watch it whenever you want. You'll have it forever. We'll have it taped. With all these channels, we have we had what's like this like bootleg blockbuster at the time. Like we've just got like this collection of like all the hit movies of like the last five years, but on like VHS tapes with labels that just say like Goodfellas, Basic Instinct, whatever. Like Godfather Three. So um, not only were you stealing cable, <laughs> you were copying the stolen cable again. to rewatch again later. Again, yes. <laughs> not, not, not me personally. So does piracy today. Basic instinct. Fast forward to 44 minutes, hit pause, and then move the TV <laughs> into the other room. Andrew grew in his beard. I was a little, yeah, a little, a little young for, for Sharon Stone in the, uh, in the interrogation room. So eventually, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, which is like probably my favorite movie at age six, I get it eventually. I don't get it that night. Because that night, my father mistakenly thinks that he can record something on a channel that he's not watching. So he's got the tape in the VCR, and he's recording not TMNT 3, but he is recording the second of three fights between Riddick Bowe and Evander Holyfield. And he told me the next day, he's like, hey, I screwed up. I didn't tape the movie. Uh, years later, I, I, I just, I come upon, you know, in our like blockbuster, a tape that just says Bowe Holyfield 2. And I have no real idea, really, of, like, what it is. <clears throat> I know that the, besides movies, he's got, like, giant Super Bowls taped and, like, Celtics playoff games on tape. And Bo Holyfield, too. Like, what the fuck is this? And I popped it in probably at 7 or 8. It was kind of, like, the impetus for, like, you know, my lifelong love of, of boxing. That's the introduction, really, I'll, for me to the sport. Your dad lost out on millions. He invented TiVo. You know, <laughs> I, I'm just, he's like he's like a phone company guy, and he's he you know he knows cable guys, and it's like I just want to see this room market. where it's like he's got not just every year of Celtic playoffs, the Eastern Conference all the way up, just every game. The thing is, all by mistake. <laughs> the thing is, he like tapes over them like year after year. Like he doesn't bother like investing in like new. He just tapes over like so he records them to record them and not even rewatch them. Rewatch well, them like maybe, maybe it was once. His DVR. That, yeah. It was his DVR. He and was at work. Gets, and the yeah. origin story yeah. of Andrew Harrod makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I had I had a similar story where Zach's mom thought that we could watch one thing and tape another, and I ended up there was a Bob Dylan tribute uh, with all these artists. Zach's named after Dylan, but instead we taped. It was this like preteen soap opera. I don't even remember what the hell it was called. It was like One Tree Hill, but before One Tree Hill. Uh, we, yeah, we all had those moments in the 90s. Although, 
if the FCC is listening or Universal, we were paying for cable. I, <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I don't want to get roughed up by the, the, the Comcast Universal uh, conglomerate. They're going to get their money. <laughs> yeah, the, the cable Michael Pinkertons. Right. There is no there is no statute of limitations on this. So we're we're gonna I'm gonna talk about the fight and I'm gonna talk about the participants and this fight is 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 the site of one of like the zaniest, most absurd scenes you'll ever see in a live sporting event. And this is really kind of what grabbed me when I first watched this fight at like age eight, three years after it happens. Um, so this fight, it's Bo Holyfield two. Uh, the year before, almost a year ago to the date, so November thirteenth, nineteen ninety two. At the time, undisputed heavyweight champion Evander Holyfield, who had, if you want to like chart the lineage, Buster Douglas knocks out Tyson in Tokyo, uh, one of the most famous upset, maybe the, the biggest upset <clears throat> in the history of possibly uh, well, sports, sports, I would say. Definitely prize fighting, but yeah, for sure. Holyfield gets the first crack at Douglas, and he knocks out Douglas with, with, with ease. Who, Douglas came in at like 460 pounds. Just, he, he, he looked like he was sumo wrestling. It was absolutely. unbelievable. When he took his robe off, he said, well, this will not last long. Because all, all Holyfield just had to stand there, and then Douglas had yeah. a heart attack and died. So it would have been, yeah. It was the Homer Simpson method of boxing. Just wait, and, wait until we're, the other guy tires out and tap him. We are going to get to uh, Diedrich Tatum. And, uh, <laughs> and we're going to get to that. We're, we're going to get there. Holyfield is a 1984 Olympian medalist at light heavyweight, uh, the preeminent cruiserweight fighter of the late 80s. He enters the, the heavyweight division um, right around this time. This is really only his like, second or third fight at heavyweight, and he knocks out a blown-up, undertrained, overfed Buster Douglas. His first two defeats... Can, oh, can I ask you a question? Absolutely. So Holyfield kind of made the cruiserweight division, which didn't seem like anything for a long time. It was new, and he was the first like great, right. great cruiserweight. Is he still the greatest cruiserweight Champion of all time? He's on. Well, the, there's Kovalenko or whatever his name is. The Russian guy is really, was really good. But I would say yes, but uh, you talking about Kovalev? Or yeah, Kovalev. Kovalev. Yeah. Um, Kovalenko played basketball. Kirilenko. Kirilenko. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Kirilenko, AK-47. I would say yeah. I'd have to like vet it a little more, but I mean, he was a... His prime years were... At, his, his careers last fucking forever, and he's a heavyweight forever, but his prime... His natural weight, he's, he's naturally light heavyweight. That's how he comes up. And then he is a dominant, dominant cruiserweight, undefeated cruiserweight. He's also one of the very, very few boxers who made more money outside the ring than inside the ring because he constantly demanded to be paid in Coca-Cola stock because he was an Atlanta person. That just went up and up and up. Yeah, he, he made a... He's incredibly wealthy. He is. And he's had, like, unbelievably enough, like, he's had financial troubles because of, like... His love of throwing his dick into women and, and, and having lots of lots of lots of children, buying expensive properties, not paying his taxes, yeah. but he still is. Um, unlike the other person in this fight, Riddick Bowe, who uh, I believe his net worth is reported to be about thirty thousand dollars to this day, which is just a travesty. He was Don. King we'll get there. He was Consistent. Don King promoted, right? Uh, Bo was with Rock Newman. Oh, Rock Newman. Rock That's Newman, right. I forgot who, that. Oh God. Um, but quickly, so Holyfield is the, he's supposed to fight Tyson, and this is right before Tyson goes to jail for his uh, gets convicted of rape. So that fight never doesn't happen until '96, which is post Tyson prison. So Holyfield's first two defenses of the belt are against Old Man George Foreman and Old Man Larry Holmes, two historically great heavyweight champions. Both well north of forty, both well past, well past their primes. I had forgotten he fought Holmes. Foreman ends up win- Foreman ends up winning a piece of the belt a few years later against Michael Moore, 
But I mean, Holmes is Holmes is for sure shot when they fight. So there's a question of kind of like legitimacy of like of Holyfield's reign to this point. And Riddick Bowe is as uh, a New York is an undefeated New York fighter and an Olympian in 1988, a silver medalist of the super, super heavyweight division. He loses to Lennox Lewis, and Lennox Lewis has a part to play in this story too. But Bowe is a legitimate contender for Holyfield in the first fight. There's some there, there's a sense that if he beats Bo, it'll sort of legitimize his, his reign to that point. What happens on November thirteenth, nineteen ninety two, their first fight, it is truly and I say so if you're a fight fan, sports fan, go on YouTube, watch this fight. I mean, this is one of the great all action dramatic heavyweight prize fights in history. And this is the first fight I'm talking about. And the younger, stronger, hungrier Bo wins a well, not a comfortable decision, but he he won the fight. He he he. Yeah, he clearly won, wins the fight. Bo's much bigger than Holyfield. Much. Bo bigger. was a big heavyweight. I mean, for the time, he's not sort like sort of not two seventy, but he's two forty. He's he's arguably the first modern heavyweight. Also, really, because before him, as, as far as fighting it, coming in at like two thirty five, well, two forty, that's like Lennox Lewis. Bo but, and but they're concurrent, and at the time, Lewis is Bo is the first one to get a piece of the heavyweight title. Right. Lewis is right there on the. Outskirts. Nobody wanted to fight Lewis. Well, and this is where... Lewis got ducked constantly. Well, this is... I'm glad you mentioned Lewis. In the post-fight scrum around the ring, uh, Lewis is ringside doing commentary for British TV. And at the time, Lewis is the W... This, this fight is for all three belts. WBC, WBA, IBF. Lewis is the number one WBC-ranked fighter. In the minds of many, he is the... He would be Bo's foremost challenge for that first offense. In lieu of a rematch uh, with Holyfield. They have, a, they have a confrontation ringside. And again, if you go on YouTube, you want to see some of the weakest ass shit talking you'll ever hear. <laughs> this 45 second exchange between Bo and Lewis is just, it's, it's pretty pathetic. And it's, it's so pathetic, it's funny. Um, yeah. Canadian, Canadian shit talk is not a thing. No, no, it's not. <laughs> and, and Bo just got his brains rattled for 12 rounds despite yeah. you know, being on the winning side. But they never fight. Bo famously takes the WBC title because Lewis is his mandated challenger. And in front of a camera, he puts it in a trash can. He says, if Lewis wants this belt, he can come take it out of a trash can. Before we get to their second fight, which will be a year later, Bo fights twice. Two fights that go a combined three rounds against the likes of Michael Dokes, who's shot past his prime. Jesse Ferguson has no right fighting for the heavyweight title. Yeah, he had no prime. Uh, no prime. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Doke's two biggest fights were both first round knockouts. Yeah, and who, I mean, him and my and Webster it, knocked him out. That's right, Mike Webster. Mike yeah. Webster. Yep. Years, my, years earlier. Yeah, my like. bu- my buddy Greg went into the bathroom. So, well, let me run into the uh, bathroom before before the fight really gets going. Came out and the fight was already over. And yeah. I was like, Sorry, man. <laughs> it's a pay per view. <laughs> yeah, it was, oh. was pay per view. Oh, we did it at my dad's house. The, the the preliminaries were quite good. That's what you want to remember on a pay-per-view. <laughs> you know, honestly, I'll get this out now because you're a big Thomas Hearns fan. When I first flip on this Bo Holyfield tape for the first time, the tape starts with the co-feature on that pay-per-view is Thomas Hearns knocking out Andrew Maynard in yep. his first fight post-Iran Barkley. Yep. And it's the first shot when I turn the tape on, hit play, it's, it's him getting interviewed by um, Larry Merchant. And uh, after a first round knockout, which I think is kind of that's kind of the last like Hearns win, and this is like ninety three at this point. I don't. I, I mean, I think he wins more fights because he fights way too long. But this is, I think, his last. I had forgotten the Iran Bar- I, I had forgotten the Iran Barkley fight. Yeah, um, that, that kind of ended his career. Yeah, this is him fighting like one seventy five. I think it was like a light heavyweight. He was eliminator. Yeah. 
I, I remember watching Riddick Bowe. Because I was, I mean, we were kids. Kids. I remember yeah. watching Riddick Bowe toss it in the trash because it was on yeah. Sports Center, and oh. we were. Well, you were probably watching the fight because we watched it. And I used yeah. to, you used to get to stay up as long as the fights were on because I needed somebody to watch the fights with <laughs> and, and drink beer with. <laughs> and, it's uh, just when you put it in the bottle, the carbonation was. Like, <laughs> that's why you got involved in Miller Lite. <laughs> Riddick Bowe, I remember he was the first fighter I remember getting kind of like mainstream. Success because uh, I had his video game, Riddick Bow Boxing for Game Boy. Yeah, like Tyson, you know, was obviously a household name, but I think Bo was the first one to like really, at least from from my memory, to like commodify it. Bo's Bo's reign as heavyweight champion and as as top heavyweight contender, it is it is almost to the days concurrent with Tyson's prison sentence. Um, it's they almost overlap like like perfectly. And for sure, while Tyson's in jail, Bo is Bo is the preeminent. He's New York City. He's 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 eloquent and he's likable. Um, which things happen later in his career, which we'll get to that kind of I had a hard destroy time. that. I had a hard time liking him. Really? I was a Lennox Lewis guy. I, I, okay. Watched, okay. I watched the, I remember watching the gold medal fight. That's 88, uh, right? Yeah. And I just thought Lewis was so good. And I, I think Lewis is the most underrated heavyweight boxer in history. I think he's one of the top five. I, uh, God help you trying to beat him, except you can knock him out, but he'll knock you out next time. Bo is in the ring. Bo is he's he's a warrior. He's a come forward. He's all action, but there are there are few as quite as shameless duckings of a fighter. Is Bo throwing the belt in the trash instead of fighting Lennox Lewis? He, he was really Lennox Lewis had already kicked his ass. He, he had right. no question about who was better. Right. So we arrive. Uh, you know, my my fifth birthday, November sixth, ninety three. Bo Holyfield two, repeat or revenge. That's a pretty good tagline. Simple. Repeat a revenge for like a, yeah. or a sequel, second fight. Outdoors, Caesar's Palace. Really cool, you know, for a, a primetime prize fight outdoors. Vegas is really hot, and this is November, and Vegas is hot year-round, but this is a chilly night. It's, it's a cold, kind of blustery, dreary night in Vegas. What ensues is also uh, Mills Lane, most famous for uh, his role as ref in the uh, bite fight, the second Holyfield yeah. Tyson fight in 97. Mills Lane is your man in charge. Of this fight. Also famous for being a daytime judge. Yes. Judge Mills Lane. In, in, the, in the grand tradition of, of, of Judy and Ed Koch and, and Joe Brown. But he was also, he also before that, was an actual Las Vegas judge. Shit. Yeah, no, he past, worked. Past the bar and everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, no. no. Mill, Mills Lane, yeah, he was. What a strange little man. <laughs> he was, I mean, at least that's my memory. I, I think Larry Merchant mentioned it as an interesting tidbit every single fight. But Mills Lane, I thought, was a great ref. And he does. I mean, he's one of the most prolific um, judges of, uh, sorry, refs of like of, of prize fights. Like in yeah, the well, 90s, back, he's well, just in 80s. He's well, just back then. It was every big fight. It was uh, Larry Hazard. It was uh, Mills Lane, and it was our old friend. Uh, what's yeah, now we're doing Richard Steele. Steele. Richard, Richard Steele. Steele. Richard Steele. Um, the old guy who remembered. Who, <laughs> yes. So I remember, like, I, when I first saw this, I again my takeaway was what happens famously in the seventh round, which we'll get to. But I remember at the time watching it on VHS as a young child and thinking that it was just kind of like, it got me in love with boxing, but not for the boxing reasons. It kind of got me in love with boxing for the sideshow reasons that we'll get to. But I remember thinking this wasn't like much of a fight, really action-wise. And I rewatched it a few, a few times this week for the first time in many years. And while it's not on the level of the first fight, I mean, this, this is a damn good competitive heavyweight prize fight. It's, it's really good. Holyfield just fought such a smart fight. He, he, I was, I was taken aback. Really, yeah. um, Holyfield, was, Holyfield was an incredible boxer. 
at a bad weight to be a boxer. 207 is a bad weight to be a fighter. And this is where <laughs> and this is where Bo comes in. 246, which is, I believe, heavy. heavy. I think it was nine pounds heavy. heavier than you. I think it was 238 and or 235 in the first fight. If you watch the weigh-in, you see him at the weigh-in take his robe off. And he's, he's, he's got some paunch. I mean, he's, he's, got, he's got a gut on him, legitimately. Early, early in the week, early in the fight week, 5-1, um, to 6-1. to one, he was no longer a hungry fighter. But literally, <laughs> literally. And there's a famous story where like, he leaves the way in and goes right to a, a famous rib restaurant in Vegas. <laughs> and, and at the beginning of the fight week, you know, Bo is he's a prohibitive favorite. He's 5-1, to 6-1 to one at some of the sports books. By the time Saturday night comes around, after everybody's seen his body, you know, he closes at 2-1. to one, two, I'm sorry, 2.5-1. to one. That's a lot of movement. People, that's a lot of movement. A lot that's, of movement in a fight? That's a lot of fight bets. Of, uh, yeah, a fight of that stature, that significance. In a Holofield never once in his career was eight ounces overweight. No. I mean, I'm ever. Pretty pristine and a lot of guys physical who, specimen. A lot I mean, of just, guys who go up to heavyweight then decide, well, I'm going to gain strength by eating pie. And, you know, and they're, they're bloated. Uh, right. Andrew Tony was an example of that. Uh, Andrew it, Tony steroids in his case. Right, though. yeah, but he, he just fought fat a lot. Yeah. Holy, Holyfield was eight ounces overweight in one fight against Tyson, but then Tyson <laughs> bit the eight, eight, eight ounces off. Uh, so he ended, he ended normal. Bingo. Oh. Bingo. That was quick. <laughs> so this is very much, it's kind of a tale of, of, of two fights, really. You've got the first six rounds, and then the last... Five and a half, or the first six and a half rounds, first uh, back five and a half rounds. My takeaways from the first half of the fight, really, um, I thought Bo, and Bo, bell rings, Bo rushes Holyfield first and gets the first good shot in. And I think Bo really controls the first three rounds. I think Holyfield is trying to find a groove. Bo's active. I think Bo is, in his perhaps knows that he doesn't have the wherewithal to go 12 strong, so his best shot might be to kind of try and end it early which a guy with Holyfield's toughness and Holyfield's shin is, is virtually impossible. But considering Bo's fitness, maybe not the worst strategy. Holyfield turns the fight in round four. I have him winning rounds four through six pretty handily. But he's beginning... I remember thinking he's beginning to tire. Which Holyfield's Holyfield, beginning to tire. Because he, yes. so, he has to do so much more than Bo does because... He has to land three punches for every one Bo lands because he's just so much smaller. He's, he's outweighed by 40 pounds. Bo, but the thing that strikes me about Bo the most is like he, for a guy his size, he is so good at like infighting. He is so good fighting like on the inside. Yeah, he's very good. I mean, it, it, it kind of blows me away. And what blew me away too is just sort of like the, like the technical proficiency of these two guys versus even like, and I'm talking just like the crispness of their punches, their foot movement. Versus, like, and as good as, like, the first Wilder Fury fight was, Wilder is, come on, he's not, not much of a boxer. <laughs> and, and, neither, no, and, neither, a and neither is, is uh, Fury. And, and, and this is, Bo had a, he had a pretty significant reach advantage. Over yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Height, reach, weight. Uh, yeah, because for people who don't watch fights, if, yeah. you know, try to punch a guy whose reach is 10 inches Which, longer and, than you. And, and he could easily try to pick Holyfield from the outside, but he is so t- good technically kind of fighting inside and sort of like... He's also too heavy. Like, he's also too he's, heavy to move that much. His hands aren't fat, yeah. He's also just sure. too heavy. And, and he, I'm not sure his hands are quick enough. They're not. They're not because like Ali could do that forever. Ali could stand... I don't think Bo, he wasn't crisp enough. He wasn't... Holyfield was going to get inside him. Yeah, he, he was going to get inside those punches. Right. So you mentioned, and I think both guys, Holyfield and Bo, are, are wearing down. Um, but... Lo and behold, they're about to get a 21-minute uh, break <laughs> in the action. Uh, but a minute into the seventh round, 
James Miller, better known as Fan Man, uh, <laughs> par- parachutist, paragliding enthusiast. Um, and if and I was, I'm, I'm watching like the the feed, and he just this thing just sort because it's out at Caesar's Palace. We're outdoors in Vegas, and just some guy on a fucking parachute uh, hits the apron. And, I mean, this is we're, we're live here, and as soon as he hits the apron, Mills Lane's like, you know, stop, stop, stop. Falls off the apron, uh, just gets like the shit kicked out of him by like Bo's people. Rock, Rock Newman <laughs> beat the holy hell out of this guy for no apparent reason. Which Bo's people did multiple times. Okay, there's a thing. There's a thing. If you watch, if you watch this, this sort of brawl, it's not really a brawl because this guy just gets the shit kicked out of him. <laughs> if you watch this, you'll see somebody in Bo's camp with a giant early '90s like cellular phone, <laughs> raining down strikes. If you watch the Bo Galata. Riddick Bo injured Gulata fight, which we can get into later if you want to, but whatever. There's a huge there's a huge riot after that fight, too. And the first thing that happens is one of Bo's guys charges Galata after Galata gets DQ'd with a giant 90s cell phone, and he's raining punches, just raining blows down on, on Galata and Galata's corner. Um, three years after, he does literally the exact same thing, the exact same motion to, uh, to James Miller, to Fan Man. Um, Fan Man also famously in 86... Landed in Shea to support the Mets it against somebody the. Diff- it was somebody different. That was somebody it's different. A, it's, it's a, a different person. It's a different. <laughs> fan man lives it's, on. It's, it's like, it's it's like fan a, man. It's yeah. like it's like the flying Elvises. <laughs> fan man's like Antifa. There's not one. It's many. Yeah. <laughs> he shows up at a, a couple months. <laughs> So he, he and, and also they've been declared uh, terrorist organizations. <laughs> and Samsung and Apple need to listen up. That's the one thing your phones are missing today. They cannot be used for self-defense. Yeah, I would say that's probably the, the yeah. no, that was definitely a Nokia phone. When, 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 when you bring it back and say, why do you want a new phone? I said, well, it has two people's blood on it. It's like, yeah, no, no. I, I remember watching, uh, you know, much. I was five when this fight happened, but like, like my dad said, say, watch my t- I remember watching it happen, and like you said, I just thought it was the cool. I was like, boxing is the coolest sport. Like, there's all this craziness yeah. happening. Like, if you don't subscribe to our YouTube channel, so you can't watch this, and, <laughs> and I guarantee you, you don't because it doesn't exist. The second he said there was a 21 minute delay, Zach looked at me and goes, "Is this Fan Man?" I said, "Yeah." Like when he said the uh, Bo Holofield too, I said, "Well, that's a Fan Man fight." <laughs> Um, so anyway, I had referenced earlier how it's how it's a chilly night in Vegas. So you've got um, you've got Bo and Holyfield in their respective corners, and they're they're being like covered. They're in their they put the robes on. They've got blankets on them. Bo's wife is ringside, and I believe she's three months pregnant, and she um, she gets kind of tangled up in in the yeah, melee in the scrum. That's right. She gets got sent that. to the hospital. Jesus. Immediately after the fight, Bo's trainer Eddie Futch, who is eighty two at this point, God. Eddie Futch is his trainer. That's right. Papa Smurf, as, right, as Bo he, called him. And, and Futch had, Futch had famously Fletcher. had um, uh, Joe Frazier. Joe Frazier. Fletch was, great. Fletch was an amazing he trainer. He was 82 at this time. And after the, immediately after the fight, he has to go to the hospital. He's having heart palpitations in, in, in lieu of like all of this chaos. And he has to go to the hospital. Was he, still, he was still there in 85 with Galato. I mean, three years later with Galato, wasn't he? I don't, I, um, I don't I, think so. I don't think this was his last fight. Fletch was in the corner like three days before he died. And he died from old age. All I remember from the Galata fight is, is the Duva. Because Duva in, oh, Galata's, du- in Galata's corner. Duva I forget Galata. who's in. Oh, I forget who's in Galata's corner. Well, we'll have to Lou, we've talked about Lou anyway. Duva multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> so the Lou Duva Collective. Collective. <laughs> so you've got just this, just a scene. And like I said, it's on, it's on YouTube in pretty good quality. I, I highly recommend checking it out. About a minute into the seventh round. It's, it's, it's just, a, it's, I can't imagine watching something today live. 
and like having like that sort of happen. I and remember just, Lampley know, just fucking losing it. Loses, loses it. <laughs> and Larry loses Merchant it. just complained the whole time. Of course. How terrible this is. And it was just surreal. Surreal is I, I have a quick Larry Merchant story. <laughs> went to the Chris, we went to go see a Chris Bird fight. Yes, at, we did. At Mohegan Sun, and I went down to get my... Uh, Which shockingly ended in decision. <laughs> and I went down no. to get to get my uh, ticket signed. And I go down there, and, and I, ask a, just, I ask some guy on the other side, I'm like, hey, can you hand this to, uh, to Jim Lampley? Get Jim Lampley to sign it? Yeah, of course. Jim Lampley signs it. And... Uh, the guys are, oh, that's cold, that's cold. That's George cold. Foreman, didn't, was it Foreman? It was George Foreman and Jim Lampley. I got them both signed. And the, these guys are like, oh, that's cold, that's cold. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm like a kid. I'm like, oh, I don't know what I did. And they're like, you just asked Larry Merchant to hand a ticket to someone else to have them sign Which that. is the most appropriate thing to do with Larry Merchant, who was, he was a rough listen. He really is. At best, I would term him in his, like, sort of prime. He's kind of sage, and he's got some wisdom, and he's, and he's eloquent, but he's, you know, you listen to fight the early ones with like Barry Tompkins and like Gil Clancy, and like Gil Clancy knows what the fuck is going on. Yes, you know, and Larry Merchant next Although to him. Although Cla- my problem with Clancy was he was still an active trainer, so Clancy was occasionally auditioning to be the next trainer. Like every once in a while, when you watch a Clancy fight on CBS, he would be just criticizing the corner the whole time, he, clearly thinking he was going to get the next job. And Clancy wasn't right, a great trainer, right? But he he did a pretty good job. No. um... Clancy struck me as like a cut-rate Al Bernstein because they were both kind of came like you didn't know why they were there, and I always like Bernstein better. I like Bernstein a lot. Bernstein's still going. Um, he's I think he's the best in the business on color. Um, but I mean, with fighters too, with Foreman, with Roy Jones, with Sugar Ray Leonard, who was doing fights. I thought Leonard was great. Great, and Larry Merchant. Larry Merchant's not a you know, he's never. He was a reporter. He was a reporter. He and wrote, he wasn't even a boxing group. I think he did boxing, but other stuff, too. He was like, his back New York Post or New no, York Philadelphia Daily News? No, Philadelphia Inquirer. Okay. I'm pretty sure. I mean, I, I said that no. clear, I said that confidently in the way that white men do. And I don't, I don't, uh, I'm don't. i not 100% sure, but I think it's Philadelphia Inquirer. Are you getting ready for a fight? You just started <laughs> emptying your oh, pockets. Shit. <laughs> like, that's quite so. shit's gonna get <laughs> Shit's going to get real here in a second. No, yeah. I, uh, I, I just had a lot of stuff in my pockets. It was uncomfortable. <laughs> I had just come back from shoplifting. <laughs> but getting back to the fight, um, so 21-minute delay. It's kind of a chance for, like, the, for both guys to sort of like recharge, but there's so much pandemonium, and you got to think... You know, Bo sees his wife get taken away, his pregnant wife get taken away, whether that weighed on him in the, in the, in the final rounds. To um, be fair, he had eight other pregnant women he, at the time. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and also, tw- 21 minutes for a fighter to cool down. I mean, That's a long we, time. You, you watch baseball, and when there's like a 10-minute delay, like, they, they replace Sometimes the pitcher. Like, yeah, yeah, they replace, like, for, for these guys to take 21 minutes and completely cool yeah. down. And, and to not get, to be, boxing's not like other sports. You can't. You can't go out and have a, you know, it's not like in basketball where you can go out and miss your first three, two shots and throw the ball away and then kind of get in the field because you're on your back. Like It's kind of jarring how how covered up both fighters are in their corners. It, it almost looks like, it looks, they're covered like a pitcher covers his arm. Right. And that's a perfect comparison. It's how a, a pitcher has towels and a jacket wrapped around their, their left or right arm, <clears throat> whichever. Uh, so the fight commences, uh, the remainder of the seventh is just kind of like you would imagine, there's not much going on. The eighth, ninth, uh, the closing rounds, I think my impressions were Holyfield finds his groove in the eighth, ninth round. He really gets into a groove. Bo steps up his aggression. He steps up his output. He actually outlands um, Holyfield in the fight. He outlands and he outthrows 
Holyfield lands at a slightly higher percentage, but but Bo does land more punches. His, that, that could be a misleading. His, oh, absolutely. That could no. be a misleading number. Um, I was surprised when I when they when they showed the copy box numbers after. I was surprised that he had been the more active. Fighter. And copy box at that time, people were counting punches, pretty, and and there were different yeah. people counting punches. So like, they should have let you know ahead of time. Okay. CompuBox, this person's doing this guy, and this person's doing that person, because I think that it was useful, but I, I always had issues with CompuBox. Yeah, they would show it, and it would just be a guy with an abacus <laughs> just moving things. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Sneeze, mystery punches, yeah. yeah. And there's not a lot of... And it's one angle. Yeah. Like, sometimes you have no idea if they hit the guy. There's not a lot of controversy after the no. scoring. Um, no. Holyfield wins. It's a majority decision. Holyfield wins two cards. The third card's draw. Most, if not all, I, I tried to find all the media cards I could, and between Sports Illustrated, New York Times, Letterman, they all had Holyfield winning the fight. Yeah, I didn't. I, I remember there was no controversy about, I remember, about the scoring. I remember the only thing I was surprised about was that anybody had a draw. I thought, I thought it was either seven five or eight four. I, I didn't think it, you could get to six six. There's some really good action the last few rounds. Um, like I said, Bo, I think Bo knows he's behind, and he and he steps up his sort of aggression, his output. Holyfield withstands it, and Holyfield. It's kind of the beauty of these guys and their rivalry is like they both are kind of at least this point in Holyfield's career. I'm not. I don't want to get into like post because Holyfield goes way too long. And I think after Lennox Lewis, I think post Lennox Lewis, Holyfield is. I try not to even like think about him. He shouldn't have fought. No, no. Lewis embarrasses him twice. Somehow their first fight's a draw, which is one of the great outrages in boxing history. I had forgotten that. Yeah, Lewis kicked the shit out of him twice. twice. And the draw in the first fight. And if they fought a hundred times, Lewis would be like A hundred times. Lewis is a much better fighter than Riddick Bell. That's the ultimate Correct. issue. Is he's just a much better fighter. He's a crisper puncher. He's a cleaner puncher. He's a better defensively. Bo, I mean, had a warrior mentality. Didn't mind being hit. But as a heavyweight, you should kind of mind being hit. It's kind of where I wanted to go here, too, is sort of like the post-Bo Holyfield and Fanman's post-career here. Fan man makes he wasn't, one, one, well, he wasn't killed. <laughs> I mean, if you know, it's it's kind of a in my research, there is not a lot out there on this guy. There's not, there's really not a lot of information. He's not the same Jim Miller that does all the Orioles games. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, negative. No, no, at least, right. my, at least my reporting uh, did not find that. He makes an appearance at an NFL playoff game in Los Angeles. Um, Raiders Broncos wild card January 94 gets arrested. Makes an appearance at a Premier League, or at, yeah, at the time it is the Premier League, the top flight of English soccer, because he's, he's British. Makes an appearance there. Makes an appearance much too close to Buckingham Palace. And when I say make an appearance, he's making appearances in descent with his parachute, obviously. <laughs> he's, Which, not just, he's not just walking around with a giant fan on his back. He's, no, he's no, flying he, he's, in. He's, he's flying, flying in. in. And these offenses in England at the football game, soccer game, whatever you want to call it, in uh, Buckingham Palace get him deported. Kicked out of, of, of Britain. He's, he gets deported for, uh, for flying too close to Buckingham Palace. I just want to know Palace. how he sold, like, how he well, got away with it. Like, you can get away uh, with three, four, and, like, nobody really knows what you're doing or where you're... But after a while, like, your name's on a list. You're you're getting an airline that you're going to jump out of. It's not like you go up there with, like, your carry-on and pull a parachute yeah. out. Like, you're going up ready to jump. Like, you'd think they'd start just being, like... Nobody let this guy jump. Well, that guy's got a fan and a parachute. <laughs> well, you think what he went, what he went and a large me? sign. Yeah. I, I, I have a couple questions. One, mm. I hope I have he's answers. British, and he got to 
deported. He got he didn't get deported. He got exiled. Exiled. Like yeah. Oedipus. He, <laughs> essentially, <laughs> so, so, is there is there a fan man at Colonus play or something that I should know about? Some say I'm, that's uh, a joke that no one will get it unless you had me as a, as a teacher. Some some say that uh, on windy nights, if you if you are quiet and really listen, you can just hear the hum of his fan still flying over you, over you. So he ends up, he's ex- exiled from the British Empire. And he, he ends up in Alaska. And he's doing all, he's doing kind of his odd jobs. He, he's, he teaches paragliding. He teaches sort of like parachute in, in Alaska. And of course, whatnot. if you're really good at paragliding, you don't need a fan. Right. This is, this is true. <laughs> like there is that. Yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like to maybe do a deep dive on just how proficient of a paraglider was James Miller. Like was he actually good at what he did? or was, like? And how do you find... How many battery-operated fans of that size are there? I mean, he, I don't remember extension cords coming from the airplane. <laughs> he, he, he was a DIY. He would have had a great YouTube channel if YouTube existed. Honestly, we, we, we started gaining listeners at the end of last season with The Last Dance. Then we immediately did a story about 1900s, a guy named Eddie the Eagle. And then, and then we're going to end with a deep dive on the fan man. And we're going to see our numbers plummet. <laughs> what do Michael Jordan, yeah. the fan man, Eddie the Eagle, and John Montgomery Ward have in common? <laughs> Rock Newman. <laughs> yeah, right. Did Rock Newman? I don't remember him ever having any other boxers. He didn't, and I don't remember. And I remember his corners being chaotic all the time in the middle of fights. Tyson had a better corner during the Buster Douglas fight when they were putting just bags of water on his head. Like, what was I, that all about? I remember the first, the first time I ever kind of when my father explained to me like why he. Because he, he wasn't a big fight fan, but it was a big pay-per-view fight they had access to, so we watched it, accidentally tapes it. Had access to. Yeah, had it. <laughs> nomenclature. The, um, the first time we ever talked about, like, so why did you why did you tape this? And he's, well, no, I was trying to tape, you know, this movie for you, and I ended up taping the fight that I was watching, and this and that. And he's like, well, what are you, were you a Bo guy? Were you a Holyfield guy? Were you this or that? And he's like, Bo, a whole, Bo being a, a New York fighter, my father... In the 90s was was a pretty avid, like, he listened to Imus every morning. And Rock Newman used to go on Imus. Uh, Rock Newman used to go on Imus all the time. And my father's stance was that Rock Newman was a complete just piece of shit. Just totally just predatory in terms of how he just, he thought he exploited Bo. Not unlike like a Butch Lewis or a Don King, just sort of like a predatory boxing. Or a Bob Arum, yeah. Bob Arum, any any high-profile promoter. He thought Newman was... Complicit in like in Bo's sort of self destruction. Yeah, and, and and Newman wasn't good. Like no, Aram was good at what he did. Don oh, King yeah. was kind of good at what he yeah. did, but Lewis is not. But like, but like yeah. you said, Newman, it's Riddick Bo and nobody else. Right. You Which know, it's it's it's, it's, it's hard else. to have the heavyweight champion of the world and no one else. Very. Right. Because somebody champion, else wanted services, especially back then. The heavyweight championship of the world was still the most famous athlete in the world. That's no longer true. Both fights, the the first fight in 92, the second fight in 93, both fights, cover of Sports Illustrated, front page, New York Times Sports. Um, I mean, yeah. And, and, and now it's like, I think the last SI cover that had boxing was like Mayweather De La Hoya? Probably. Which is like 07. I don't even think Mayweather Pacquiao made the cover. Fury Wilder 2 got some. Got some it's mainstream. The, the Shaka yeah. Ruiz but might have. I just I don't see the cover yeah, of magazines and, anymore. But the Ruiz win probably did. Yeah, Andy Andy Ruiz's win. Andy Ruiz's Ruiz Ruiz win was covered cover. pretty extensively. I, I, I don't know. Point, like, I mean, it wasn't front page. I don't, I don't think so either. I, don't I think it was like, cover. It was it was a caption on the side. I kind of yeah. I kind of fell off of boxing for a while. Although I'm kind of back when I've watched the current heavyweights, and and this might just be old guy stuff, but I don't think Fury would last. I don't think Fury or Wilder would last three rounds with Lennox Lewis. I think they would. No. He would just kill them. Agreed. 
because the best athletes in the world at that size don't go into boxing. They go into something else. And so, and they should, like they should, if you could play football, if you could play basketball or box, play basketball. If you could play football or box, probably play football. I'm not sure I wouldn't take the Riddick bow that walked into the first fight with Holyfield. I'm not sure I wouldn't take him against any of this crop also. Like that in, oh, no, no. In, 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 in shape Riddick bow. I, th- I might favor him against like the current crop of heavyweights. I, I think maybe not Joshua, but I mean it's I think it's close. I mean I have seen Fury fight a couple times. I think Holyfield would be a nightmare for him because he'd just be he'd be four inches away from him constantly. Yeah, I mean the size. Does, yeah, but the, but you know, hey. but he was way smaller than everybody. Everybody. Yeah. And Lennox Lewis is that size. Lennox Lewis was two seventy in shape, two sixty five in shape. In shape, and he was never really out of shape. He was out of shape for Oliver McCall. Holyfield is one of like, and I don't want to get into like grit and intangibles and heart and all of these things, but I mean, Vander Holyfield is is one of just the, the toughest fighters of what he does. What he does in the in the Tyson fights, namely the first Tyson fight and in the second in the second fight with Bo, it's just two big upsets. You know, the first Tyson fight, the one before the the, the bite fight. I mean, that is that's a sublime performance of just like guts and will by Holyfield. That's a huge upset at the time. Am I am I am I wrong? It was, it was Tyson had lost the aura of invincibility because he had lost. I think people underestimate how hard boxing is. You know, Muhammad Ali was not the fighter when he returned that he was when he left. You just you can't take you can't take three years off from the sport and then get back to where you were. You can't. You know, Ryan Sandberg in baseball, which is a much different sport, took a year off and came back and was eighty percent of the player he was. You know, I mean, it's really hard to take time off from what you do and then go back and say, well, I'll just pick right up where I left off. I don't think it's possible. Riddick Bowe's post, so post the second fight with Holyfield, somehow, and I believe he's 27, never actually fights for one of the three major uh, heavyweight belts again. He does have a third fight with Holyfield. That's all action. It's non-title. I believe it's only scheduled for 10 rounds. Knocks Holyfield out in the eighth round. I believe this is like 95. Yep. Really great action fight too. But Bowe's post-championship career is just marred by, I mean, the, the stink of that Galata, which we've mentioned, the Galata fight, where Andrew Galata picks overweight, out-of-shape Riddick Bowe, picks him apart, fucks him up for like eight rounds, but he can't, but he keeps it and blow the belt eventually. And, and intentionally. One of the strangest things I've seen in sports, because he's winning the fight, and then he's, just he's cannot stop punching him in the crotch, well, and it's just like, it, it, it was almost like a mental tick in his head. Like he just and it wasn't the first time hitting him. Yeah, and it wasn't the first time he had acted that way. Galata was just Galata was a dirty fighter, not because he had to be, because he chose to be. But yeah, I remember. Yeah, we watched that fight. It was de- it was like strange. Full disclosure to our listenership: my original plan for this for this show, for this topic, was actually going to be talking about that Bo Galata fight. And there's just scenes in the post uh, in the post fight melee that, with everything going on in the world now, I just I. Uh, didn't feel comfortable talking about it. It's a very there's there's a there's a, a, a riot ensues in Madison Square Garden and just some really just just kind of horrifying images. Of- Bo Gulata's corner was terrible. Bo's corner was terrible. Yeah. Everybody involved behaved as badly as humanly possible to get the worst possible outcome. Yeah, that was I I kind of checked out a little bit after that. It's a black eye in. It's a it's two black eyes. Uh, modern uh, history of boxing. Yeah, and, and probably a landmark turning point because I can't remember. I mean, HBO 
which I believe carried that fight. Yes. Yep. Oh, back, famously so. Way backed out, backed way out of their of their uh, coverage from there. I mean, it was just yeah, that, yeah. It was, it was right. I had forgotten I had watched that with you, Zach. It is some peak Jim Lampley. You mentioned Jim Lampley's like hysteria about Fan Man. Um, I mean, Jim Lampley famously leaves Ringside. His daughter's in Madison Square Garden, and he's like in tears as he's yeah. signing off. He's like, "I got to go find my daughter." Jim Lampley famously has cried twice on the he's, air. It's an emotional Once guy. that time, the other time, early, early, early in his career. I am going to say right now, I'm almost certain this is correct. But if it's not, I apologize. I believe Lampley was arrested for possession of marijuana on the sidelines of a Florida game. And uh, because they had I, like, I knew I liked him for a reason. <laughs> and he, he, they, he, like, he's being taken out. Yeah. And, and it was like he was super young. I'm going to check this. I, I will be. I, so thank God for Google. 1973, state of Florida versus Jim Lampley, possession of marijuana. He may not have been caught with it during the game. I think that's where he was arrested. He was then arrested for possession of marijuana. And this is where I respect him. My man. 34 years later, with his 28-year-old girlfriend, he's 57, uh, the former Miss California. For reasons I don't understand, and I did not check this because it was just now. When you Google Jim Lampley, the first thing that comes up, obviously, is Wikipedia. And the second thing is Jim Lampley's wife's hands. I did not Google that because I'm afraid I have a long ride home. And I just, I'm just, afraid I don't think I could make it. But any <laughs> listeners who are in hands, <laughs> there's a new source. Oh, boy. Matt, Matt, we, are just, we are just a gross, gross gender of do you, people. Do you, think, <laughs> do you think he hangs around with Rex Ryan and just talks about different <laughs> appendages? Yeah. Appendages. Mitch, body there's the guy on Sunny with, <laughs> I'm a hands. <laughs> yeah, Charlie's uncle. Charlie's uncle. Like, oh, shoot. I, I would have put know, my hands you, on if I didn't well, come one, over. One of, the thing, one of the things you've brought up, we talked about a couple times, which I think is interesting, is these guys that kind of win these heavyweight titles and then they. Expected, not expected, but they almost immediately like become overweight. Buster Douglas coming in overweight. Riddick Bowe coming in overweight. I was thinking Andy Ruiz when he beat Joshua. That second fight when he we were watching it together. When he came out, we were like, I'm pretty sure he's fatter than he was the first time. And he he was fat in the first fight. Like Ollie Norton. Ollie came in super fat against Norton. It it just seems like there is this thing. In boxing, and it in particularly heavyweights, it might be just because if you're that size, you put on a pound, you see it. it. Is like there does seem to be a thing in boxing that's a repeat that if a guy is not supposed to win the title, not supposed to quote unquote win the title, that he almost never like. There's not a long reign. Like there's not this reign of him being like I'm going to get in better shape. It's more of like okay, I'm going to go spend that's all this thing. money. It's Jerry. L- it's it's um, Joe Lewis. Yep, and it's Larry Holmes. And really, Lennox Lewis never came in over, overweight. He just had a, a weak chin, but he, he never came in overweight. Lewis retires. I, th- I remember his retirement being kind of a shock because he, he beats, he, he gets, he's got the undisputed belt from, he finally, Holyfield, and he's got all the belts. Beats Tua, he beats Grant, knocks, gets knocked out by Rockman, but he avenges that in spectacular fashion. Beats Tyson, which was kind of Tyson's shot at the time, but that's that's something Lewis had long been chasing. He wanted to notch that win over Tyson, that decisive win, and he did. And then he fights. He's supposed to fight Lad Klitschko. Lad drops out. So he fought Vitaly. He fights Vitaly, and Vitaly takes it to him a little bit. Lewis's game, and Lewis cuts Vitaly bad, and that's how the fight stops because Vitaly's cut so bad. Lewis never fights again. 
I don't think Lennox Lewis didn't love boxing. No. He was just really good at it. He was like, he was kind of like Will Chamberlain. Will Chamberlain didn't love basketball. He was just really good at it. Yeah, and, and it's a sport you have to be willing to be like, okay, I'm, I'm going to get punched 175 times right. in my face. Right, and, and that's the thing. Like, okay, I'm worth $400 million. My job is to get punched in the face. I could retire now, or I could be worth $500 million and be punched in the face many more times. And also, by the way, probably have no quality of life in the last 20, you know, after this. And... Not only did he retire, he stayed retired. Stayed retired, and uh, he's what doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. He's one boxing. of my well because they usually just lose all their money. Yeah, yeah. he's and he took really good care. He's very thoughtful about yeah about his career. He's one of my favorite athletes ever. Him versus him versus Vlad after he beat Vitaly would have been a massive number mega fight. Were you there? Yeah. Were you there at the fight that Lennox Lewis called? It was. I was always surprised that he did commentary, like you said. I, I don't think he has that love for boxing, but he was a pretty good right. commentator. I, I loved him. I thought he was a great guy. There, there was a fight in either Foxwood or, or Mohegan, and he was there, and I shook his hand, and his fingers nearly touched my elbow. And I'm six foot three. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, people said, oh, I get in the ring for a million dollars. You'd pay 10 to get out. Like, that guy was the <laughs> like, he was he was pleasant. He was kind. He was thoughtful. I have never been more scared in my life that I would make a joke he didn't appreciate. <laughs> like, which is kind of my niche. Uh, you know, I need to have Brandon follow me around and just edit all my jokes. But... <laughs> <laughs> Talk about you talk about Lewis and you talk about his post career of being, you know, one of success and like fruitfulness and even like Tyson, like Mike Tyson is relevant and he seems like he's gotten his life together. Um, he's doing mainstream stuff. Holyfield still has that still has that Coke money coming in, you know. 12, 13, 14 kids. Coca-Cola. You know. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Oh, my goodness. Edit that. Ready for Coca-Cola. Excuse me. Excuse me. As Holy, far as Holy, as far as we know, Holyfield is a man of God. Though. He's yeah. a so all these all these sort of parties are doing all right in 2020. Um, Except Riddick Bowe is not doing so well, and our fan man is no longer with us. He uh, like I mentioned earlier, he went he ends up in Alaska. He's reported missing. This is late 2002. A group of hikers finds his body in early 2003, um, hanging from a tree. Uh, he kills him. Quit suicide by way. Oh, of it wasn't a hanging. Well, it wasn't a. a no, it wasn't no. a parachute. Actually. Yeah, no, for a second, not. I was like, he died doing what he loved. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> we talk about a guy who the embodiment of fifteen minutes. I guess twenty-one minutes of fame, you could say, like in the aftermath of the, yeah. the break, um, and then obviously just kind of a tragic end. And again, like I said, there's not a lot of information out there about this guy. And, um, and, I would, and Bo is just broke. Bo's broke. Bo's. Um, the last 20 years, 20 plus years for Bo have just kind of been a series of, and, this, and we go back to the 90s, he famously, his wife, who is hospitalized in the wake of this, and yeah. this fight, she, uh, they end up estranged, separated, oh, he yeah, famously weird. kidnaps his wife and children. Oh, I remember that. And ends up in jail for 18 months in the wake of that. Um, financial trouble. Sues Rock Newman at one point for 120 million. Eventually backs off of that because the person who advised him to sue was just as predatory, if not more, than Rock Newman. Um, so I guess they reconciled. There's been attempts at mixed martial arts. There's been attempts at fighting. 
bare, you know, just doing things that a man with the, the wear and tear on his brain and on his body, uh, he's walking around at 300 plus pounds as far as I know. Um, just kind of a shame. Um, another in a long line of just sort of like boxing. It, it really Tra- tragic caused tragic cases. It really shows how brutal the sport of boxing is that like there is this dichotomy in boxing of like you either do it, make a lot of money and get out or it takes your life. I'm not going to compare it to what when we've talked about the Meldrick Taylor, Julio Cesar, Chavez fight before. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to compare the damage that Chavez inflicted on Taylor that night to the first Bo Holyfield fight. But in, in, in Bo's greatest triumph in that first fight when he wins the belt, he takes a lot of fucking punishment. He takes a lot of sustained punishment. He takes a lot of sustained punishment after that. And I don't know if he's, you well, know. Holyfield was the kind of guy who really hurt people because he hit hard enough he hit hard enough to do damage as a heavyweight but not hard enough to really knock you out uh except through accumulation and so he just he just everybody who after they fought Holofield their next fight wasn't good because because he just did so much damage to you cuz he hit hard enough to hurt you but not hard enough to knock you out and that's at the, at the heavyweight level that's really hard Absolutely, Zach. Anything else? R.I.P. Jim Miller. May you <laughs> yeah. fly. Through, may you may you fly through heaven. For real. Here, 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 here. Um. So to our to our listenership, uh, we thank you for your continued patronage. Next week we're gonna have a best of season one episode. Two weeks from today we'll have uh, our debut season two episode, the premiere, season two, of Bill Bradley Collective coming at you. Thank you for listening, and uh, be safe out there.